0: Last week, if you were with us for Spiritual Family Night, you should recall that we discussed the the wrath of God as we were working our way through various attributes of God. And now this evening, as we come back to our series through the book of Revelation, we're coming back squarely into the middle of the wrath of God. God's wrath is being poured out on rebellious humanity in in the, the four... Sight or the, the advanced scene, the, the revelation that John has been given. Here is what is coming in the future of human history. We believe that by the time the Apostle John is envisioning here, by this time in, in, in the flow of human history, the church will be removed. The, the church will no longer be on earth. It will be raptured prior to the events that John foresees in, in these chapters. We're in the middle of the largest section of this book of revelation the the book of revelation what john has been given by 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 christ to to understand what is coming is composed of several sections and and this is the largest one that we're in the center of here with the chapters we're looking at this evening the the section began in chapter 4 and 5 where john was given some scenes in heaven he he was able to see what was was happening in the throne room of God before these judgments began. And that serves as a backdrop to what is coming in the judgments themselves. He saw in chapter 4 God in his holiness sitting on his, his throne as the judge of the universe. And then in chapter 5 he saw the risen lamb, the, the, the sole being, Jesus Christ standing before the throne, the sole being who is able to take the scroll that the Father had, and to execute whatever was sealed up upon it. Three weeks ago, we started looking at what was sealed in that scroll. As Jesus began breaking the seals, and we saw as he broke the seals, God's divine wrath in the form of of several catastrophic events or, or judgments came forth. We should remember, though, that we anticipated that that this revelation of God's judgments will come in three sets. We only started looking at the first set. The, the first set was called the seal judgments because they occur as Christ is seen breaking these seals on the scroll. The, the second set is named the trumpet judgments, and the third set will be called the, the bowl judgments. Uh, two weeks ago, as we were talking about this, I, I gave this chart, we can put the chart up here, and yeah, I... Hopefully it helps explains the the section that we're looking at there, the highlighted section, that all of these series of judgments, in my understanding, end at the same time. Now, by the way, there are more copies of this on the Welcome Center. We handed them out two weeks ago, and there's some more there if you want to pick one up on the way out tonight. The, these series all, all end at the same point because as we get closer and closer to the end of history, it's like... God allows John to zoom in to, to further, closer and closer detail about what is happening, what is transpiring. So there will be seven years of judgments. We've opened the first six of the seven seals, which take us chronologically, I believe, to the halfway point. As we'll see tonight, as the seventh seal is broken, the, the seven trumpets will pop out and they will take us through the last half of, of the seven year period. Before John opened the seventh seal, though, he had a couple of things pointed out in scenes within the vision that he was given that did not directly move the tribulation forward, but they, they served to give further background information, information that would help us understand what is about to come. It's a fairly common feature, really, as we go forward in the rest of this book that we'll have these I, I call them interludes. That's what a lot of scholars call them. These these little asides from the flow of events to to give us some background information that will help us understand things more fully. Uh, in chapter seven, we had the first two of these scenes that came up, and and really they were given to us because at the end of the the sixth seal, I can't say that fast too many times. At the end of seal number six, a question was posed. The question re- was, who is able to stand the great day of wrath that was about to fall? In the course of six judgments, catastrophic events had, had come upon mankind, and yet it's understood that worse things are coming. So the question was, who could stand if, if these keep coming? Well, the answers were given in chapter seven were twofold. We saw in chapter 7 there's 144 Israelites who will stand as witnesses during the, the tribulation. And then we were also shown that there are countless believers who will stand before God's throne as martyrs. They, they will not stand in physical life, but they will stand. They will stand proudly and, and, and joyfully before the throne of God as martyrs who come out of the tribulation through their faith tonight we are going to move into the next set of judgments the the trumpet judgments my plan is to cover two chapters as you saw on the first slide so that that we can read the record of the the first six trumpets all in one pass as these trumpets blow see what's coming there there's a lot of details in these chapters that we'll read this evening the these details are designed to capture our imagination to, to help us begin to envision The the horrific nature of what's unfolding, but I'm going to try to do my best to keep from getting bogged down so that we can see the overall impact of of God's divine wrath. Providentially, as I said, we discussed wrath last week. Here we are seeing God's wrath unfolding. God's judgment is falling faster and faster. The intensity is increasing as we move through the tribulation period coming towards the end of the, the seven years. The whole impact is designed to help us see that it truly is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We left off God's judgments in chapter 6 with the sixth seal. So chapter 8 begins with the breaking of the seventh seal. Remember, chapter 7 was an interlude in between. So we have the breaking of the seventh seal. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. I want us to think about the sudden silence that falls on on a a group of rowdy children when, when they've been horsing around and suddenly they knock over mom's lamp and mom's favorite lamp shatters. There's instant silence. As they await the arrival of mom. Well, on a massively larger scale, that is essentially what we have happening here in the first verse. Every glimpse that we've had of heaven to this point has involved activity that includes great sounds. There's been songs being sung to, to God on his throne. There, there's been, most recently, a multitude beyond number that were standing before the throne of God praising him for their salvation. And now if the Lamb breaks the seventh seal, there's sudden silence. I would expect that the silence would be deafening. I cannot help but think of Habakkuk 2 verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zephaniah 1.7 and Zechariah 2.13 also instruct that silence Before the Lord should be the right response when his wrath is aroused. Well, God's wrath is certainly aroused at this point. Silence is the immediate response to the breaking of this final seal. After a dramatic half hour of anticipating what is to come, things start moving again in heaven. And the seven angels are given seven trumpets. These angels will release seven additional judgments that that make up this final seal. Remember, it's as if we're zooming in, and the seventh seal contains seven unique judgments when we look at it in more detail. They uh, are the culmination of God's wrath. John also sees beyond the seventh, he sees another angel, an eighth one, who, who adds further incense to the altar from which the prayers for vengeance were coming back in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. There were martyrs under the, this altar crying out for, for justice because the evil people on the earth had taken their lives. The, the impression is that these trumpet judgments that are about to unfold, they begin to answer these prayers for justice. After offering the incense, the the angel takes some fire from the censer, or in his censer from the altar, and he throws on earth symbolically casting judgment down, initiating judgment. And creation responds with great physical disturbances. We have thunder and lightning and earthquakes, all anticipating the great judgments that are about to to come. Much like we saw in chapter 6 with the seal judgments. The, the first four trumpet judgments are grouped and, and, and somewhat distinct from the, the final three. If you remember, the first four seals had the four horsemen, and they were different from the next three. Well, now we have four trumpets that sound. So let's continue with verse 6 and the sounding of the four trumpets. And the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepare themselves to sound them. If the angels prepare to sound their trumpets, we, we really should anticipate that there is going to be some kind of an increase in the severity of these judgments. That as bad as the, the judgments were in the SEAL series, is going to be worse. Verse 7, where we have the first trumpet. The first sounded. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. This first trumpet, uh, along with the next three, uh, affect the well. I'll call the natural realm. The trees, the grass, things of that nature, the natural realm. In, in this particular judgment, there's clear echoes of the seventh Egyptian plague. If you remember the, the ten plagues that Egypt faced back in Exodus. This is similar to the seventh plague, but it's much greater in its severity. A third of the earth will be burned up, a third of the trees, and all the green grass. Why all the grass instead of a third? I don't know. Um, That's what happens. What we can understand is that this would be calamitous for the world. With this much devastation, the world would be shaken. Those who are here would have enormous impact. Well, the first trumpet is immediately followed by the second Remember, these are coming after great judgments have already fallen, and now we have the second trumpet. Verse 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The second judgment affects the oceans. John sees something like a, a massive meteor, right, crashing into the sea. Remember, we have to feel for John as he has to stretch for descriptions. He says something like a great mountain is probably some, a massive meteorite right, crashing into the sea. And a third of the sea becomes blood, resulting in a third of the creatures in the sea dying and a third of the ships being destroyed. We, we would presume that most likely the death and destruction are located in the same portion of the sea that's turned to blood in this judgment. Um, that's where the third seems to harmonize, but we don't know for sure. What we do know is I would say based on the, the first Egyptian plague where the Nile River was turned into literal blood, we should take this judgment as turning the oceans into literal blood. This is not a symbolic blood Like colors, not blood red in colors, literally blood. Again, massive judgment. The third trumpet seems to sound quickly after the second. Look at verse 10, the third trumpet. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The great star falling from heaven, most likely another large meteorite. This one breaks up and and strikes all the sources of fresh water. There's some divine movement, right? It it breaks apart, but only hits the fresh water sources, the rivers and the springs and the streams, and it turns these into blood, or not into blood, rather into something bitter that the name of, is given to this, this meteorite, the wormwood. And apparently that's because it causes these water sources to become undrinkable. We, we can assume that people would die indirectly from the previous judgments, that, but now we're told specifically that many men die from this judgment. You know, the, the oceans being turned blood probably would kill some people. The, the trees burning pro, and grass burning probably would catch some people indirectly. But here we're told people specifically die from this judgment. And then we continue in verse 12 with a fourth trumpet. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. This judgment parallels the ninth Egyptian plague. There seems to be a lot of parallels to these plagues. It affects the bodies that give light in the sky. Somehow, a third of the light is reduced. It's unclear if the the sun, moon, and stars become a third dimmer, or if they fail to shine for a third of the day. Based on how it's translated Your your translation may tip you one way or the other, but it really is unclear what's being diminished. Are the days shorter or is is the light dimmer? In in either case, the impact on the earth would be devastating, as it would greatly impact all of life. When we looked at the first six seals in chapter 6, as I said, there was a difference between the first four and the last three. They there there was a difference between them in, in this series there's again a, a difference but the distinction is even more pronounced because now suddenly there's a pause for a pronouncement of woe verse 13 then i looked and i heard an eagle flying in the mid heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Before the next trumpet sounds, John is shown this brief view from a different perspective. We, we have our code words here. Remember, every time we read, and I looked or I saw, uh, for some reason our translations keep bouncing back and forth But how they translate, but it's always the same word in the original language. Um, that word alerts us that John is shifting In perspective. He's seeing something different. The scene is shifting in this vision, and he's gazing at something different. Well, now his vision shifts from this scene in heaven where he's been looking at these trumpets being blown by the angels and seeing as it were the effect on the earth. Now he shifts to looking at this eagle flying in the the heavens. Somewhat like Balaam's donkey, this eagle is given the ability to speak. It's crying out with a loud voice as it flies over the earth. Woe, woe, woe. By, by the way, I know that the King James and the New King James, if you have those, they, they have an angel flying over the earth pronouncing the woes rather than an eagle. There, there's a difference. The difference is a textual one in, where the Greek source for the King James Version has the word for angel, whereas most of the Greek sources have the word for eagle. Um, the option that the King James follows really is much weaker from a textual history standpoint. So the the word eagle is, is a much stronger historical uh, source, but that's why there's differences there. Somewhere along the way, most likely in, in the translation, remember, copyists had to write down all the ancient texts by hand. They didn't have a printing press for a thousand years. So somewhere along the way, there was probably a copyist that thought it makes a lot more sense for an eagle to pronounce woe than for an eagle to be doing that and change the word. Anyway, eagle is, is who's pronouncing this woe, and this eagle's announcement clearly indicates that, that the coming three trumpets will carry even greater judgment than the prior four. The, the world is already devastated if you think about beyond comprehension. But for those who are still dwelling on it, much more severe events are about to come. It's interesting that the altar in, in verses 3 and 5 connected the, the trumpets to the prayers of for vengeance, as I said, for those martyrs that were under the altar in chapter 6. If the fifth seal was, was broken, these martyrs were there asking for vengeance. Well, this pronouncement of woe by the eagles, as well as... As the woes that were being requested by the martyrs, there's a connection there as well because the martyrs were invoking vengeance on those who dwell on the earth. And this, promo- this woe is on those who dwell on the earth. There's a tie there, a literary tie, that this judgment is coming for those who still live on the earth is an answer to the prayers for Vengeance. Having heard the eagle pronounce the coming woes, God, John's gaze shifts back to heaven as he once again is, is moved in, in what he's looking at. And now we see the sounding of the fifth trumpet in chapter 9. The, the next two trumpets, numbers 5 and 6, they have a lot more detail than the first four. The first four, remember, uh, we just read, they were a verse, maybe two verses. Well, now we have 12 verses for the next trumpet here in chapter 9. Then the fifth angel shouted, and I saw, that's where John's vision shifts again, I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up from the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. The power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the king of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Because there's so much information in these verses that that we've just read, uh, more than we've had for any judgment at this point, what I want to do is review them in, in three stages. We'll we'll consider first the agents, then the results, and then the, the limitations of the judgments. I, I think will help us just understand it a little bit more. So let's begin with the agents. By, by agents, I, I mean... Who is doing the judgment? Uh, aside from the angels sounding the the trumpets, in, in the first four judgments, there were no actual agents involved in, in executing them. Well, in this judgment, there are several agents involved. Beings who who purposely and, and consciously do something to, to bring about the, the judgments. The, the first agent is, is mentioned in verse 1. It's the star that John sees. This star must be an angel because... He's given responsibilities. He's dispatched from heaven on on a divine mission. He has the key to open the bottomless pit or the abyss is the literal word in in Greek. He's told to open it and he uses the key to do exactly what he's instructed to do to open this this abyss, the bottomless pit which releases the second players in the judgments, the the second agents, the locusts that are released from the abyss. The the locusts are most certainly unusual. Um, I feel sorry for John as he tries to describe them. John uses as and like more times in this chapter than you will find those words in any other chapter in the Bible. He cannot find human language to describe what he he sees. So he, he just keeps throwing in, it's like this, it's as this. John has no earthly framework to describe these creatures. Now, most likely all of us have heard um, theories that John is attempting to describe modern military machines using ancient parallels. That's not what is happening here. John is describing demons that are released from the pit. They are certainly not locusts, but neither are they machines. These are sentient, malevolent beings that are released from the pit. They relish the opportunity to inflict pain and suffering on mankind. Of course, we should note there's also a third agent specifically mentioned in this judgment. That's the king who's over all of these demons. This demon king is given a name. He's given name in both Hebrew and Greek, but the, the name means the same in both cases. He is the destroyer. This demon king is not Satan. It, He is rather one of Satan's emissaries. He's working on Satan's behalf. He is one of Satan's chief generals, if you will. He's doing Satan's bidding against mankind because he wants to destroy those who bear the image of God, which is Satan's mission all along. We should always remember that even Satan and his minions, though, serve the almighty purposes of God. God uses Satan's agents as his agents to exact divine judgment here as they're released upon the earth. Having looked at the agents here, let's consider the results. The results of this swarm of locusts comes out of the pits and then spreads across the earth is tremendous pain and suffering for the people. These creatures have tails, we're told, like scorpions with which they, they sting people. But the venom is not fatal, just extremely painful. So painful, we're told that the people suffering from this judgment will wish they could die, but death will not come. In in fact, we're we're told that death flees from people during this judgment. The the implication seems to be that it is impossible for people to die under this judgment. The idea in verse 6 that people seek death could even imply that they attempt suicide, but they're unsuccessful in the attempt. God has determined that those suffering this judgment are to bear the full extent of the pain that it brings. As I was thinking about this judgment this week, I, I could not help but think about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we just celebrated these, these elements that, that remembered his death, what he went through. That The reason, if you remember back in chapter 5, that he alone was worthy of all the beings of creation, in creation. He alone is the only being that that now, because of the incarnation, is, is part of creation himself. God, who became part of creation, he alone is worthy to open the scrolls and to be the righteous judge. And the reason he is worthy is because he did not flee the pain and the suffering that was part of the path required for our redemption. Instead of fleeing it, he accepted it. He endured on our behalf. The reality is Jesus could have simply not gone to Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He knew that pain and death was there. He could have just stayed up north in Galilee where he was. He could have hid in the Garden of Gethsemane instead of walking up to the soldiers. When when Judas arrives with the, the soldiers, he walks up to them. Instead, he could have hid under the trees. He could have resisted the whipping and the crown of thorns and the nails through just the the briefest exercise of divine power they had at his disposal in infinite supply. Remember when the soldiers walk up and they ask, he asks, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. What happens to them? They're all blown down. Just a tiny little glimmer of the power he has at his disposal. And he waits for them to pick themselves back up. And he says, I am. I'm he. He could have easily called 10,000 angels to come to his rescue. Instead, our Savior accepted the full extent of the pain involved with our redemption. He, the righteous, accepting the, the judgment on behalf of the unrighteous, accepted the full extent of pain without invoking divine intervention. Whereas here we have unrighteous trying to avoid the righteous judgment, the rightful judgment that was coming upon them, requiring actual divine intervention to see that they receive the full extent of their judgment. What a contrast. The results are extreme pain. Let's also consider the limitations. These locusts, as I said, they're not real locusts, they're, they're demons, but they are specifically instructed not to hurt the grass or any green thing or tree. That's another indication they're not real locusts. Real locusts devastate green things. They also are told they cannot hurt the 144,000 Israelites who were given the, the seal of God on their forehead in, in the previous chapter. These have been set aside as witnesses for God. They are not to fill the the divine judgments that's coming on the rest of mankind. We're also informed there's a limitation to the duration of judgments. They can only operate for five months. This, uh, according to verse 12, ends the first of the three woes. The final three trumpet judgments. The first woe has finished. The first woe is past, behold, two woes are still coming. Well, the, the next woe comes in the very next verse. We have the sounding of the sixth trumpet in verse 13. So let's read about that trumpet. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released, so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and of hithes and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. This is the second woe of the great eagle that was pronounced. The final judgment that we'll look at this evening, the sixth trumpet in... Before we get to the seventh trumpet, there will be a couple more interludes in the chapters that that come before we get to that. And the seventh trumpet will actually bring forth another set of judgments as we zoom in closer to the end of things. As we think about number six here, let's break into the same three components as we did last one. So let's start with thinking about the agents. For the first time, it seems as if the angel blowing the trumpet actually has a direct role in the execution of the judgment. The, the sixth angel is told by some unsourced voice from the altar. We're not told where that voice comes from other than the altar who, who owns the voice. But the angel is told to go and release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So much like the angel that was given the, the key to the bottomless pit in the previous trumpet. This angel is, is given a divine mission to, to go and release those who will actually cause the havoc uh, of this particular judgment. So the angel goes and releases four specific angels. These angels are apparently evil angels, uh, beings that we would normally call demons. Demons are just evil angels, angels that have fallen uh, in, in conjunction with Satan. Uh, these four demons specifically are prepared to administer this this coming judgment that's their purpose in, in fact the emphasis in verse 15 is clearly placed on, on God's sovereign control his predestination of the events that are contained in this judgment God has set these evil angels aside in their hatred he has set them aside he's bound them in their rebellion for this very moment the hour in the day, in the month, in the year, that he had determined that they would be released for judgment on mankind. Nothing happens by accident. Surprisingly, these four angels immediately fade, though. Once they're released, they they fade in John's vision into this great army. The four demons likely lead the army, but the army is massive, 200 million in in strength, and that army becomes the, the focus this army is another group of demons um, John sees both riders and horses, so whether pairs of demons or John sees a demon in two pieces I don't know how that works but but it's a massive army and the judgment actually lies with the horses if, if they breathe out fire and smoke and brimstone that that represents plagues that have the ability to kill they also have these snake like tails with heads that's An odd feature that that can bite, but the bite doesn't seem fatal. It's the the plagues that come from the mouth that kills. 200 million deadly demons are released as the agents of this judgment. And they follow the lead of the four specific demons who were prepared to lead them in in their massive attack against mankind. So what are the results? Well, the, the primary result is death. Massive, extensive death. We're told in verse 18 that a third of mankind will be killed in this judgment. Now we need to think about this. In, if you recall in the seal judgments, by the end of the fourth seal, a quarter of the population that entered the tribulation was killed. Now in this judgment that comes a few years later, a third of those who remain die. Now some have died in between, so we. but now a third of what remained, well if you do the math, a third of 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 three-fourths, because three-fourths survived after the fourth seal, a third of that. Basically, that tells us that half of mankind that entered the tribulation period is wiped out at this point. Over half, if we assume some others have died in between. So, in a few years' time frame, we don't have exact time here as how far we're in, but in a few years' time frame, from the beginning to the end, We know the totality is only seven years, so in a few years' time frame, half the population of earth is killed. Half the men and women who entered the tribulation now by this point are dead. We cannot even begin to imagine the devastation that that the remaining people would find themselves living under at this point in time. Before we leave the judgment, let's also consider the limitations. There are no specific limitations mentioned in this judgment unless you consider the, the deaths being limited to a third of the population that, that were alive. The remaining two-thirds of the current population, like I said, roughly just under half probably of those who entered the tribulation. or Those will face the final judgments yet to come when the seventh trumpet sounds. I think we can also assume, though, that the 144,000 Israelites that had that seal of God on their forehead, they would also be protected under this judgment. In, in chapter 7, when they received that seal, they were, were said they were sealed to be protected from divine judgments that were coming. In, in the previous trumpet, they were specifically excluded. The, these 144,000 Israelites will die. We, we see in a few chapters that they, they all die, but their death seems to come from human hands rather than from divine judgment. And I say that because we see them all having, standing before God as martyrs for the faith. So we can assume that they are not killed in this judgment either. The magnitude of devastation though, as we come to the end of six trumpet judgments, is truly beyond comprehension. Yet before we conclude tonight let's look at the response to the trumpets massive devastation unbelievable suffering and hardship how do the 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 half of the people that entered the tribulation respond remember half roughly are still alive how do they respond look at verse 20 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, nor did they repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor of their thefts. There is no repentance. Those who somehow, through really God's mercy, have survived these Six judgments of the trumpets combined with the six judgments of the seals, they still hold fast in their rebellion. Much as several of the judgments paralleled the Egyptian plagues, so too the response of mankind parallels the response of the Egyptian pharaoh. Those who were not killed did not repent. They they continue in their idolatry, they continue in their demon worship, They continue in their evil practices, their murders, their sorceries, their immoralities, their thefts. The one thing they refuse to do is bow before the sovereign God of the universe. They refuse to bow before the one who mercifully allowed them to see another day of life in their rebellion. They refuse to bow before the one whose power and might is obvious. Remember by the time we got to the end of the... Six, seal, they knew that these judgments were the wrath of the Lamb. There's no doubt in their minds that this is coming from God. But they refused to bow before him. Instead, they continue in their rebellion and sin. Oh, how hard mankind's heart is. The response to the trumpets is continued Rebellion. The one thing that strikes me most strongly as we leave our review of the first six of the seven trumpets is this realization once again. People are fixed in their rebellion unless God intervenes with His saving grace. Oh, we need the grace of God. We celebrate the table tonight of our Lord because we have experienced the grace of God, the saving grace of God. Without... God intervening, people are fixed in their rebellion. There is nothing that can happen that will arrest people's attention enough to get them to leave off on their rebellion unless God intervenes with his grace. Not even watching half the world's population die is sufficient. Here we've witnessed, as we've read through these two chapters, we've witnessed this future record of unimaginable suffering and hardship. People experience demonic judgments, yet even that will not produce repentance. God's grace alone can break through the rebellion of the human heart. We need to remember that truth. We need to be telling people faithfully about our Savior so that that they know what God has done for them. And then we need to be praying for people. Praying because we understand that unless God intervenes, our words will never have an effect. People are fixed in their rebellion unless God intervenes with His saving grace. Let's pray. Father, the time in Your Word this evening as we look at these judgments is in many ways terrifying. As we begin to comprehend what is coming upon mankind it shakes us to the core. Also, as we've seen before, we rejoice that we will not be part of it because you and your grace and your mercy have allowed us to experience your saving grace. But Father, we see again the the reality that mankind is is steadfast in rebellion until you intervene. Father, may we bow before you and in renewed awe that you would have such mercy upon us. May we bow before you in in prayers pleading for those around us that you might show such mercy to them as well. And may we joyfully magnify Jesus Christ, the one through whom your grace flows, the one through whom our redemption is complete, the one who did not avoid the pain and hardship that was required.